Heavenly Father, um, we come to you today and we look at the story, a journey um, of two women, two outsiders following you, maybe even when they don't know that they're following you, maybe coming back to you, even when they don't know that they were far from you, I don't know. But um, I know that so many of us relate to these stories. And so Father, today I pray that we see you in the lives of these women and the journey of these women. Um, Show us what you want us to understand about you and how we can lean back into your love. Thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for this time. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, 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 here you are. Um, Okay, last week, remember, we started our Once Upon a Time and it was kind of bad news for a minute, right? Like, yeah, the first five verses, Ruth 1, verses one through five, a little rough, a little hard. Um, Well, the good news is this week we get some good news. Anybody up for some good news? I need more hands than that. Come on now. All right, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, you guys have had coffee. I have expectations for coffee for participation. Um, We are gonna look, if you have your Bible, open your Bible. We're gonna look at Ruth chapter one and we're gonna go through verse six through 22. So we're gonna cover some ground. These are the the verses that you covered in your homework this week. So it will probably be familiar, but we are gonna go fast and we are gonna hit some high points and and just kind of look at it from like a 30,000 foot view and prepare you to go into your discussion with your group, okay? Um, a journey. I mentioned it's a journey. You, you know, I thought about um, this this week over and over. You know, God does this, right? We, we talked about how these are stories and we're reading a story, a narrative, a once upon a time, a happily ever after. And so immediately for me and maybe for you, God kind of washed over me some stories in my own life, in, in the lives of people that I love. Um, I thought about how this is a, such a great story of faith but more than anything, it's like, it's like a, it's a journey of stepping into the unknown and the uncertain, isn't it? Like what we're watching Ruth do and even Naomi, like that, that trek back to Bethlehem that you read about this week, it is uncertain and it was unknown. And, and I think she had to have a lot of faith to go back. And I think Ruth had to adopt that faith to step into that journey, right? Well, like I said, God brought a story to my mind and uh, it's a precious story. If, uh, if you know my mother-in-law, Susan Murphy, then you probably got to meet her mother, um, Great Nana. That's what we called her, Great Nana. Her name was Jean. And in fact, uh, in another day or two, she would have been 99, but she's left the earth now and she is with, with the Lord. But the thing, about, the thing about Great Nana is the story that she has, the reason that she came here, that our family exists essentially, is because she stepped into a story of uncertainty and unknown future. You see, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Like back, way back in the World War II days, she was from New Zealand. So if you ever met her, she had like the sweetest little lilt, you know, like you would like listen in because she had just like this beautiful like accent that never went away. But, but great Nana, um, when, back in, in world, during World War II, she lived in New Zealand and she worked in a tailor shop. And at the time, um, a lot of our, our servicemen, Marines were, were stationed there and that's where they would be. And so she had this Marine, this one Marine came into the tailor shop one day and he had this like flash of red hair. In fact, his nickname was Red. And he came in to have some patches and some things repaired on his uniform. And so of course, you know, he noticed this sweet young New Zealander that was working in the tailor shop. 
Well, as you can probably guess, in no time at all, they, they started up this courtship, this relationship, and six months later, they were married. Six months later, they were married. And then she became pregnant, and then he shipped out. And so there she was, right, in New Zealand, like has um, this pregnancy, she's home with her family, she has just married and, and chosen this life with this, this person that is just all new, the whole thing is new. And then he comes back 13 months later to New Zealand again. And as you can guess, she got pregnant again. And so now he's shipping out, but this time he's shipping back to the States. And so now there's Jean and she's pregnant and then she has this little baby and she's got to figure out what's next. Well, arrangements were made, okay? And so Red coordinated that um, his precious, beautiful wife and their new little family were gonna make the trek from New Zealand to America. And so in 1946, Jean, along with 499 other war brides, got on a converted destroyer for three weeks and traveled to San Francisco. Now, now, those of you that are young moms, or even if you're not, if you've ever seen small children, then you're gonna relate, you're gonna understand. So the, she gets on the ship, guys, and she has at the time a 15-month-old and a six-week-old. And she gets on the ship with these 499 other women, and she is stepping, you wanna talk about stepping into the unknown. And she's leaving everything she's ever known to trust and to have faith and to believe that whatever this is that's calling her is gonna take her to a place that, that, that's, that's where she's supposed to be, uncertain. And as Susan pointed out to me, quite frankly, there were no disposable diapers in those days, guys. Let's just sit with that for a minute. Well, she arrived, the journey took three weeks. And she arrived in San Francisco and was greeted by her new husband and her new mother-in-law and, and stepped off of, of her past into her future and quickly made the cross-country trek from San Francisco to the roving metropolis of Duncan, Oklahoma for her future. Ooh, ooh, so, sorry, Oklahoma. <laughs> she lived on an oil lease with his parents there and this was in July. This is fun. I may just skip the roof and just go right into, anyway. She never got to go back to New Zealand until 1989. Much of her family of origin had passed on and this new life that she chose was everything. And, you know, I thought about while, while we were doing this homework lesson, you know, if you did it, you know, in the very beginning there, I wrote a thing about this song that just kind of was playing over and over. In fact, over and over this week, I listened to it again and again. And the repetitive idea was that even then, even then in your darkest days, even when you don't know him, even when you turn your back on him, even then you're on his mind. And so I think about young Jean, you know, I don't know where her faith journey began, honestly. I don't know how far along in her unknown, uncertain faith journey that God met her and she came to know Jesus as her personal savior, but I know that it happened. And so I think about Ruth and I think about Naomi and I think um, there was something drawing them and it was more than food, amen? And there was something drawing them into this new life. And, and now we sit on this side of history, so we see the f this end of the story, you know? We know what happened. We know that there's a happily ever after, but they did not know. They stepped onto that war bride ship 
uncertain, unknown future. And that's what I thought about. And so I don't know if you have stories like that in your life and maybe you're walking in one of those. Maybe you are in a place right now where you are absolutely stepping onto something that, or into something and you have no clue how this thing is gonna end. But can I tell you, can I just tell you this? Can you just take this one piece of truth? That even then he knows, he knows. You're on his mind. Um, I love this idea that we step into these unseen, unknown futures with hope because of Jesus Christ. Well, this story, um, there was hope as well. And so we're gonna look today at the return. We're gonna look at, at Ruth and Naomi taking their step back to Bethlehem. Well, I'm gonna break it into three parts, okay? The first part, I'm gonna talk about the good news because after last week, we need good news, amen? So there's a little part at the beginning, verses six and seven, and it's the good news that we get about this journey. Second thing I'm gonna go over is the turning point. Now, you know there's three characters that we're gonna talk about, the three women, and there is a turning point where there are decisions made that change the future, right? We're gonna talk about that. And then the last thing we're gonna do, we're gonna talk about that end part, the arrival in Bethlehem, okay? That verses 18 through like 22, I think, that, that last part, so we're gonna hit that. So Ruth and Naomi, unknown, uncertain journey. But even then, um, um, they were already on God's mind. And I think we're gonna see it over and over. Well, the good news, verses six and seven. Um, let me just read, you just follow along with me. Let me read verse six. And we're gonna pause and we're gonna look at a couple of words um, before we move on. So verse six, chapter one of Ruth goes like this. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. A couple of words I wanna point out, okay, before we move on, return, return. That word, that idea happens 12 times in this chapter, 12 times the word return, or some translations say turn back or go back, but the idea of returning 12 times, significant, right? The word heard, the word heard, um, you know, we see that, that Naomi had heard in the fields of Moab. Tell me how that happened. Tell me about that. Tell me how that happened. Because we know there wasn't the gram back then, you know, as Jessica says, no Instagram back then, you know, no email, no texting. How did she hear? How did she hear that the famine was over? How did she hear? I, 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 I don't know. I have my thoughts about that, but I would like to know. Um, but I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool that the author makes sure that we understand that something has informed her. Someone has told her somehow this hope has find, found its way to Naomi out in the fields of Moab. Interesting. I love that she uses the word um, or that we see that Lord is referred to here. The author uses the word Lord because you know why? It's like um, we are seeing the first of several different instances where God is getting some props isn't he? Because the Lord is the one who had visited them. It could have easily just said, now there's food. It doesn't say that, does it? It says the Lord had visited them and brought them food. And the last word I want you to see in that verse is visit. Okay, spoiler alert, just jot this down. You are gonna see over and over as we move through this book of Ruth that there are two things that they are constantly in need of and that God is gonna satisfy. This hope, this need that they have that God is gonna take care of, two parts, okay? One is food and the other is family. Food and family, those are two needs that God is gonna satisfy. And so right here, when we see the word visit, here's what we know. God intervenes, doesn't he? 
God intervenes and Naomi knows that it was God. Okay, now remember that. We're gonna go through some places where with Naomi, we're kind of like, man, I don't know how strong her faith was, how weak her faith was, her doubts were heavy. I don't, I don't know. But I can promise you this, I love the beautiful thread that we see, the little hints that we see of faith. Naomi knew that God was the one who visited, that God was the one that provided. Well, I'm gonna press pause because I think verse six, like we could end it right here. And there's a couple of things I think we need to know about this good news is that the nature of God is to intervene in our lives. That is the nature of who he is. Um, Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, even if things seem hopeless, he intervenes. He's sovereign and he's active. The other thing I, I noticed about this is that, that God's example to show us kindness, it gives us something to reflect to everyone else. You see, in this time, God knows the plight of his people and he intervenes. Now, we have opinions and thoughts, right, about why was there a famine and why did he allow that to happen? We do that in our lives, right? Our famines, we're like, okay, God, if you love me so much, why'd you let that happen? I can't answer that question for you, I am not God. But what I do know about our God is he intervenes. Sometimes not the way we expect or want, but he's active. And so his example in how to intervene and love and show kindness is a reflection for us, an idea for us to be able to do the same. Who are the people in your world that are going through their famines? Who are the people in your universe that are dealing with things that God's maybe plucked you out of your stuff and put you right in the middle of theirs so that you can show the kindness that God has shown you? I don't know. I also love that um, I mentioned it before, that in this one verse, we get a hint that Naomi has a still present faith, that she still believes and trusts him in spite of all the bad news that we've seen in verses one through five, right? There's still a thread of faith and hope. I love that. Well, verse seven goes on like this. The good news continues. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Listen, um, the idea here is this old, there's an Old Testament concept And we see it over and over in the Old Testament. I'm not gonna list them all off for you, but I'll I'll give you one example in just a minute. But over and over, there's this idea. And, And the idea is that you turn and return. Okay, you turn from what, from what you've been doing and maybe the sinful things that you've been engaging in and the lifestyle and the focus, and you return to the Lord, the one who has never moved, who has never changed. Turn and return. So the question becomes, is this an instance where that's happening. Is Naomi turning from what we suspect might've been some disobedient decisions, might've been, I don't know, I can't get into her head, but we wonder, is she returning to God or is she just returning to an easier circumstance? I don't know. I wanna believe she's returning to him. Here's an example, okay? Isaiah 55 verse seven goes like this. This is an idea, this is an example of the turn and return thing. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, that's the beauty of our God, right? A lesson we can take with us. Doesn't matter how far away you've been. He's never moved and he never changes and he never, never shuts himself off from you, never. Even then, you were always on his mind. 
Well, was she returning to the land or was she returning to the Lord? We can't know for sure. But what we do know is that God does and he has big plans, amen? And so the good news, the famine is over. They're on their way back to where they should be. Now the turning point is where we're gonna see some big changes, a crossroads for all of these characters in our story. Verses eight through 13 are the crossroads. We're gonna look at Naomi, we're gonna look at Orpah, we're gonna look at Ruth and see what each of them decided and how they changed their position So look at verse eight with me. I'm gonna read it and then we're gonna stop, okay? So verse eight starts like this. But Naomi, she said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you, go to her mother's house and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in your house of her husband. And then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. Verse 10, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said to them, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. My daughters go your way for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for, and for your sake. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. That's big, right? There's a lot going on there. Naomi, let's look at Naomi for a quick second. This is Naomi's longest speech in the entire book of Ruth. This is her longest speech. And we see her kind of refer to her womb and future husbands and all the things. I wanna clarify something for you, just so you know the culture, the way the world worked at the time. It was customary at the time for a childless widow to marry the husband's brother to raise kids of the dead husband. I know some of you were like, my brother-in-law? I don't think so, yeah. That was the custom. It was, it was a way of taking care, honestly. You know, we now in this day and age are like, that is whack. Well, it was the way that, that God and his people would provide for one another. You know, they were a patriarchal society, but they were also a community, a communal society. And then, so they took care of each other. Well, she's basically saying, look, um, I've got a dead husband and two, two dead sons, and uh, that means there's no hope here. And so you need to go back. You need to go back to your people and figure out your future because it ain't gonna happen with me. That's Naomi's words in Chris version. Um, So what did she do? What did she do? So what Naomi did is she set off, right? She set off with them. We don't know how far they got, but aren't you so curious? Like I cannot wait to get on the other side of of this world and ask, sit down with Naomi and go, tell me about how this went down. (laughs) You know, how far down the road were you when you were like, you know what? I need to get rid of this baggage. (laughs) No, I don't know. When was the conversation? You know, when did they stop? But they did. So they set off and then they stop. And then in verse eight, you see, but Naomi. And that's when she goes into this idea of telling these daughters-in-law that I believe she loved, don't come with me. Well, then she prays. And I feel like that to me more than anything really shows me the heart of Naomi. I love that prayer. She prays um, that they would go back to their mother's house. She prays that the Lord would deal kindly with them. And she prays that they would find rest in a new life with new husbands and new families. That's selfless and it's beautiful. And I love that because I needed to see the heart of Naomi right there because then we launch into this bitter part and I'm like, what happened to that girl? 
It's okay, right? We're all that girl. Well, and then after she prays, she persuades. Over and over, she tries to get them to turn back, doesn't she? Here's something that was convicting to me, and I'm not trying to dog Naomi because we have all been Naomi, amen? We have all been in these places where dark circumstances and pain and struggle has made us go, you know what? I'm just not feeling kumbaya right now, right? Like we feel it sometimes. And, and I love that we serve and love a God who understands that. Well, I wonder, I wonder, why if she loved them, did she wanna send them back to their families and their false gods? Why? Seems wrong, doesn't it? It seems like what we know of Naomi, we know there's a thread of faith. We know that she trusts the God of Israel. We know that she is returning to him and his people. We know this. And so why does she not wanna share the greatest truth, the greatest hope with these two that she loves? Why? It was convicting to me Um, because it's easy for me to sit here and judge her and be like, she should have brought him with her. She should have been, you know, discipling them all the way to Mo, I mean, from Moab. And, and I'm thinking, but Chris, hey, look in the mirror. I don't, I don't know how you felt, but I wonder, um, do I do this? You know, there's, a, um, there's an example in the Bible over and over. And one that I really love was Moses when he was out in the wilderness and he was a shepherd and he had basically thought his life was over with God. And he goes to the wilderness and he finds a wife and kids and he's doing the thing. And all of a sudden God appears to him in a burning bush and everything changes. And so now God's calling him into service. And so he has to go back. He gets to go back and lead God's people. But you know what I love about this story, about the story of Moses? Just, just mark this down. In Numbers 10, 29, you know what we learn? We learn that Moses invites his non-believing father-in-law from the wilderness place where he was, not, he was not a God's people guy. He invites him back. He invites him with him. He invites him in to a relationship with this living God that Moses follows. That's the example. So back to Naomi, back to Chris. Was she not inviting them back to Moab with her because they would have been living proof of her disobedience? I don't know, maybe. Was there ever a confession or brokenness on her behalf when she knew that she was about to walk into this tiny village where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everything? And she's gonna be bringing these two women who look different, right? Who believe different, who would probably be treated differently. And so what do you think Naomi was feeling? I don't know. I can't judge her, but I do have my ideas because I am Chris. And I know sometimes, if I'm being real honest, because we're church, we gotta do that, that sometimes my motives are not pure, amen? Well, How did Naomi represent the God of Israel through her actions to these two women? How did, what did they believe about God because of Naomi? I don't know. We don't know that. But what we do know is that um, God can work in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our weakness, right? Because I will tell you this, what we do know, and we're gonna get to that in a minute, what we do know about Ruth is something was pulling her and it was more than Naomi, amen? And so I wonder, 
How do we do this in our lives? How do we take the Naomi's, I mean, excuse me, take the Orpahs and the Ruths of our lives and share our greatest hope with them and not tell them to go back to to their godless nations and, and their broken families and say, you know what? I don't have time for that. You just go back. I'm gonna go this way. And that was convicting to me. I don't know if it is to you. Well, Orpah, the daughter-in-law that does go back. We see that, um, that, that she kisses Ruth, I mean, kisses Naomi goodbye and she turns and she's never mentioned again in scripture. I, I was reading some things about that character, Orpah, and how little we know about her, but you know what I read that kind of stuck out to me? Um, this one particular book said she was an almost story. She was an almost story. She could have been Ruth, but, but she didn't. She turned and she went back. And I think, gosh, you know, how many times does God give me opportunities with the almost stories where I just maybe don't push hard enough or pull them close enough for them to know God, you know, and have the Ruth happily ever after, have the Ruth um, experience with the God of Israel. I don't know, but it, it convicted me. I thought about the Orpahs in my life. Maybe you can do the same. I don't know. So Orpah, that's all we know about her. So her decision, her turning point was going back to what she knew because it was comfortable. Well, Ruth does something completely different, doesn't she? In verses 14 and 15, we learn that, uh, that Ruth chooses to stay. Let me read it to you one more time. When they lifted up their voices and wept, Orpah kissed the mother-in-law goodbye and Ruth clung to her. And she said, this is what Naomi said, see, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And so Naomi's basically saying, see, look at her. Go with her, go with her. I think about Ruth and I think, um, you know, if there was ever a person in the Bible that had obstacles in the way of being faithful, obstacles that got in the way of her believing in the goodness and the hopefulness of God, it was Ruth. Think about her story before she's even taken off on this journey. Think about it. We know, and we'll find out in chapter two, verse 11. We'll know this, that she has a home to go back to. She has parents. Both parents are alive. We see a reference to her father and her mother. So we can take from that, that her family in Moab was alive. So she makes this decision, but she has a home to go back to. She could just make the decision to go back, but she doesn't, does she? The other thing we learned about another obstacle that felt like it could be getting in the way of of her faith was that she was a Moabite. And so we know based on the the stuff, the little background that you guys did about Moabites, right? You know this, that she's about to walk into a community, a small, close-knit community who will probably shun her. They will probably not greet her with open arms. It'll be difficult. We also know this, that um, she has lost her future, essentially. She's lost her father-in-law. She's lost her brother-in-law. She's lost her husband. And again, I mentioned before, it's a patriarchal time. And so in that moment, a woman on her own without men, then she was as good as hopeless. And I think to myself, she probably had lost a lot of hope for whatever was the future for her. And the last thing I think about is... um, I think about four times, four times her mother-in-law, bless her heart, had tried to get her to turn back, four times. And so I wonder on that long journey that they took together, how many times did Ruth wonder, am I even wanted? Does she even want me here? 
I don't know, but I think about my life and I think about your life and I think about how there's always obstacles to our faith. Always, always, guys. And we're seeing it play out right here with this Moabite woman. She has so many obstacles and yet she steps into it, doesn't she? Well, despite the disobedience that she might've seen in that family, that God had something bigger than just Naomi going on. I mean, there was something bigger to follow than just a broken widow. It was beautiful, but also God was pulling her. I love that idea. I think back to great Nana. I think back to her story. I think she would say she was so dedicated to her new husband and her new life and this future. But if she were here today, I, I would guess she would probably say, yeah, but there was something else. Something else was pulling me and I couldn't put words on it yet. Well, even then, Ruth was on God's mind, right? Verses 16 through 17 are some of the most stunningly beautiful profession of faith in the whole Bible. And I know you've probably encountered it because you did your homework, of course, but also you probably have heard those words before by Ruth. And this was the moment where she finally got Naomi to be quiet and get going because she said this. Listen to these words. Verse 16. She says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And then it goes, and when Naomi saw that, she was determined to go with her. She said no more. Beautiful, right? Beautiful, but difficult and heavy, enormous words. Let's look at them. If you're a grammar nerd, like I am, um, there's a certain um, phrase used for the poetic structure of this particular little speech. It's called a chiastic structure, C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C, chiastic structure. It's really cool because the ideas and words are nested inside of each other. Did you see that? So like um, first and last statements match each other and the second and second to last match each other. So it's kind of like this poetic thing, right? Real cool, beautiful. I love that Ruth takes this moment when we get to hear her voice and she confesses her love first for Naomi, her mother-in-law. And then she dedicates herself to staying even to death. And then she says, which this is huge, that she's determined to worship the God of Israel alone. You see, if you remember anything about the Moabites, right? They had a whole bunch of little G gods, right? They had like these good luck charm kind of gods that they, they dedicated their lives to trying to please and do all these things. And instead she was saying, this was a profession. And she was saying, I am turning my back on all of that. And I am following your God. That was huge. Then she says that she's willing to leave her parents and cling to Naomi. I love this about Ruth. I think the key point here is important. The key point is in that one little part about my people will be your people. Verse uh, 16, your people shall be my people. Listen, in the Hebrew, literally, this is the way it sounds, okay? Not that I read it in Hebrew. I just, a smart guy didn't, I rewrote it. Okay, in Hebrew, this is the way that verse sounds. Your people, my people, your God, my God. 
wow, right? Like that was big. It wasn't just hearsay. This wasn't just words to convince her to let her go on this fantastic journey. You know, this was a moment where she said, I am taking this God as my God. Well, it's interesting because her wording there is similar to God's covenant promise to his people. If you go back on the left side of your Bible, remember we talked about it before, God is a promise keeper and a promise maker. And he said to his people, some pretty big words that sound a lot like this. In Genesis 17, in Exodus 6, in Leviticus 26, God says this out of his God voice. He says, and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I love that our Ruth is echoing God. Come on, right? That's not a coincidence. That's beautiful. It's providential and I love it. Listen, never, ever, ever, ever doubt that God is up to something. You know, um, whether you are the Naomi in the story or the Ruth in the story, in the dark of circumstances, there is a Ruth that could lean into faith. We could be Ruth leaning into faith in the darkest circumstances. Ruth walked by faith, even when, even if, even though, do we? I mean, she did not know what was coming, guys. And even then she stepped into that, you know, with this Naomi person. It's, it's unbelievable to me when you really think of the literalness of it. Well, um, the last little part of our story is huge and giant and enormous, and we're gonna hit it in like three minutes. So you're welcome. I hope you drink your caffeine. Um, in Ruth chapter one, verses 19 through 22, we see the arrival. We see that um, after Ruth said her beautiful, amazing, poetic statement, Naomi is quiet, and then they arrive, right? Verse 19 goes like this. So, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, I want more detail. Anyone else? <laughs> I'm like, more please. I'm obviously a man wrote this because I would have gotten more detail, I think. Couple things. Notice that first question. Is this Naomi? Now remember, Bethlehem at the time was small. Small community. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business, right? Anybody grow up in one of those towns? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw those hands. They know who she is. Why that question? Why? Her name meant pleasant, but then she says, I'm no longer that person. I wonder what her demeanor looked like. I wonder what she looked like 10 years, not just 10 years, 10 rough years. And remember 10 years of escaping something that seemed terrible to go to a place that seemed like it was supposed to be the, the answer. And she returns back and says, change my name to Mara because that's who I am now. Well, I think she looked different. She says, call me Mara. We can't control the circumstances, guys. She couldn't control the circumstances, right? But what we can do is control our responses. 
And so I got a little, I wondered this about, about Naomi right now, about bitter Naomi. I wondered this. In the middle of her dark place, in the middle of this bitterness, she couldn't see, right? She couldn't really see what was going on. And we, we understand that, right? We, we feel compassion for her in that because it would have been so hard. But this is what I feel like we can walk away with because we're on the other side. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is one of those verses, right? That we cringe when we hear, in everything, give thanks, not because of everything. You see, God isn't a God that expects you to thank him for the dark things, but he expects you to thank him in the dark places. And so I look at Naomi and I think, um, do I dare to believe and trust and put my hope in a God who doesn't do and react the way I want him to? Because I'm Naomi a lot, guys. I'm bitter a lot. I just don't like officially change my name. <laughs> you know, and we are, aren't we? We get mad at him because it's not the way we wanted the story to turn out. Well, the Lord dealt very bitterly with me, she says. He brought me back empty. Here's a question I have. Because, because she doesn't see God clearly, but she does um, see him in her circumstances, but she doesn't see him clearly, but we can, right? Because we are on the other side of history. But here's what we can know about this Naomi, okay? That she's alive. She's still breathing and there's still hope, right? We know that there is opportunity, she arrived. Do you see what the last sentence says? And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the what? The barley harvest. You know, to us, we're like, okay, big deal. It was a big deal. Because remember, they're coming off of a famine and we are told right now that we are at the beginning of something big and hopeful and new. It's a beginning. So there's opportunity. We also know that she has community, doesn't she? And she may not like it right now, because they're looking at her and wondering who the 10 year ago, Naomi, where'd she go? But we do know that there's community. You know, I think we overlook that theme a lot in God's word. We forget that faith is personal, but it's not individualistic. I mean, right here in this room, you are sitting shoulder to shoulder with other faith stories. It's not intended for us to walk the journey alone. You know, the other thing that she has, she has family. Maybe not all the family she wishes she had, right? I know a lot of us have gone through loss and it's hard, but she has this daughter-in-law who has said, your people are my people. She has family, she's not alone. And the last thing I think about our Naomi that she maybe doesn't see yet, she will, is that the Lord, the God of second chances, that she repeatedly refers to him, not always in the best way, amen? She's a little mad at him but he's still there and he's still a part of her life and he's still active. And we're gonna see that whole faith thing unfold in her life. This is what she has. This is what she brings back. Well, she didn't see God clearly, but, but, but we don't either a lot, do we? Sometimes we don't either. Um, just because her view of him is a little skewed, it doesn't change who he is. He's in the business of providing, of visiting, of taking care. You know, well, I'm gonna close up. I wanna give you a couple thoughts, okay? Just a couple quick ones. Maybe, maybe you are feeling like um, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with you and maybe you are feeling like he brought you back empty. Maybe 
that you're feeling like that your faith is really weak or non-existent or broken because of the broken places that you have been. Your history, you know, maybe. Maybe you're feeling like that you're an outsider stepping into a land full of risk and uncertainty. Maybe that's you. I'll tell you what, step one, you've opened God's word. And there's hope there, man. I mean, even if all these things are swirling around, will you just hear me and know that you, you have a God who loves you and he sees you even in those places. And he longs to be there for you, even in those places, just like he did with Naomi, just like he did with Ruth, just like he does with, does with every chair in this room. Maybe today is the time that you turn and return. Maybe today is the time that you see those places in your life that are pulling you farther from God and you say, you know what, I'm done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shelf that stuff and I'm gonna return to him and just, and just see what he's got. Maybe today is the time that you see him in the good news. Don't just blame him in the bad news. Maybe, maybe today is the time that you walk by faith in the even when, in the even if, in the even though, Maybe today is your Ruth day. The darkest circumstances, you lean into faith. Hebrews 11, one says this about faith, okay? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We are seeing that lived out, aren't we? Will you pray with me? Um, Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we come to you today and we thank you so much for this beautiful picture. I love that you do not leave out the gritty details in your word. Thank you. Thank you that I can see myself in Naomi in the good parts and the bad parts. Thank you that I see this hope and this new exciting beginning and future for Ruth. Lord, thank you for the details. Um, Father, we know that you have intention and purpose in, the, in, in this, this story, in these words, and, and I know that there's gonna be rich things coming in the conversation. So will you be with each of us today and remind us how much you love us on this journey and how we are always on your mind, even when we feel unworthy, even if life is not working out the way we think, and even though the world doubts us. Thank you for that. And we thank you more than anything for your son, Jesus, who came to live and to die for us. And it's in his name that I pray, amen.